In this episode of the podcast, we're talking to Rihanna Milne. So Rihanna is a relationship expert and a published author of two best-selling books. Her list of accomplishments are pretty extensive, but she has over 40 years of experience in the space of coaching, and 20 of those years has been in the area of relationships. So as you can probably guess, we're going to talk about relationships. Why? Because they are pervasive to the human experience. They affect your happiness and quality of life at home, as well as in business, as well as in your friendships. It's such a critical piece to our overall life experience that it's worth studying and understanding. Now, specifically in this episode, we're going to dive quite a bit into childhood trauma and the effect that those have over our relationships. And I'll be having Rihanna use me as the guinea pig. Let's dive in. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Stupid Simple Relationships. That's right, folks, my own book that you've probably heard me mention from time to time. If you're looking to improve your relationships, and I'm talking friendships, family, marriage, business, all relationships, I promise it'll be worth reading. But Stupid Simple Relationships isn't quite out yet. You can, however, be the first to know by joining our email list on thinkstupidsimple.com. We promise to respect your time, your privacy. We're not going to blow you up, nor will we share your info. This is the TSS Podcast. It's a place for authentic conversations to uncover the stupid simple truths that help us succeed in business, create better relationships, and lead more fulfilling lives. Welcome to Think Stupid Simple. Rihanna, we have a, a little candle lighting ritual. Very nice. That we do at the beginning of each podcast. You know, I was thinking um, in the future when we get back to doing these all live and in person uh, Anthony, what do you think about actually bringing the guests in and like, Rihanna, wouldn't it be cool to come in, get a headshot, like a new updated headshot? Because we're a photography studio. Yeah, awesome. That would, would that be, be great. I used to be a model and talent agent. There you go. So I understand headshots. Yeah, come in, get a new headshot, sit that, down, do a good. podcast. You know, That would be awesome. Yeah. Well, I am stoked that you're joining us. Thank you for coming onto the podcast. I'm excited you're to dive welcome. into your- Thank you for your, having me. Yes, you have a wealth of experiences. You've been in the relationship field for 40 years, I think I read. Yes, in many ways. In Mindset for Success, I started teaching that in my 20s. And I had a model and talent agency for 10 years uh, in the Erie PA originally. So I was teaching small town people to think big and go for their dreams. So then they went out to IMTA, International Model and Talent Association, in July in L.A. and New York in um, July in New York and January in L.A. And they would compete for large city uh, offers from top agencies and actually from around the world. And um, all my people were 100 percent and getting offers. And then they did competitions and they all went home with awards. So here, originally, they would walk into the model and talent school and say, I want to be an actor. I want to be a model. You know, the big dream. So let's make it happen. So I've been teaching mindset to many audiences, students in schools and kids in drug and alcohol centers and mental health uh, wards and women from the prison system. So I've been doing mindset for 40 years. And the relationship work. Um, I got certified as a clinical counselor, licensed mental health counselor in yeah. Florida and LPC in New Jersey uh, in year 20, 2000, I'm sorry. So 21 years I've been doing mental health work. Wow. And then I got okay. certified as a coach 2009 and 10. That's rad. So. And you currently reside in Florida? 
Yeah, paradise. <laughs> How is it out <laughs> there? We've got a beautiful uh, sunny 81 degrees today. <laughs> well, we, we have decent California weather, but there's a lot of trade-offs to being in California. And my I business know. partners, yeah, I was, I was telling them, like, let's think about Texas. And one of them was like, let's not do Texas. Let's do Florida. I'll tell you, Florida's pretty hot. It's, uh, I was on the beach all week, and I was at a pool party on Sunday. You know, you can't beat it. My daughter and her husband recently moved to Austin. A lot of coaches are moving there. Interesting. Austin, Texas. It's a kind of cool up-and-coming place if you're thinking Texas. But yeah. she just escaped out of that snowstorm by coming to Miami for a week. I'm like, see, I told you, I should have moved to Florida. That is, that is a good escape. Yeah. That, that was wild. Okay, so... I, I, I am I want to dive into this whole wealth of experience that you have in in relationships. I have I have written a relationship book that I'm currently in the process of of editing and actually getting published. And so the That's topic good. I find fascinating. Um, I've been an amateur, you know, I don't know what you would call it, a student of human psychology for 20 years. So the the first thing that I want to ask is what brought you specifically to the field of relationships was there what was it 20 years ago well the 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 part i'm known for as an expert is healing past childhood and love trauma so my book that went to number one bestseller love beyond your dreams break free of toxic relationships to have the love you deserve it's 400 pages and that was based on my research after i had a traumatic relationship um, I was married to someone who what I would call a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde to the public, beautiful, charming, fun, outgoing. We traveled the world. We really had the ideal relationship, but he self-sabotaged it. Yes. And my reality of what I lived with him, it was fabulous. Yeah. Um, but uh, what had happened was he sabotaged it by having a whole secret life. And it kind of exploded. Uh, he was a principal in a school. We were actually introduced by his school superintendent. So um, the sad thing was, you know, he lost his job, his income, his reputation ran out of town. And I decided to stand up as my own attorney and annul that uh, marriage. So I did get the annulment. And uh, I was actually talking to a divorce attorney last night. And he goes, you got an annulment? He goes, yeah. in all my whole career, I was only able to win one. How did you get that? <laughs> and yeah, I said, I was unusual. adamant in, um, you know, getting out of this five-year relationship. I said it was fraud and sociopathy that I could prove. And uh, the judge says, I've only given one annulment in 32 years of being a court judge, and yours is a second. Yeah, so, so for those that don't necessarily know what the difference is, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, an annulment essentially means the marriage never existed, never happened. So both people wouldn't be like, you're not held responsible essentially for dividing assets and whatnot. Is that correct? Or how does that work? Yes. It's as if it's never occurred. As if it never occurred. Correct. That is pretty wild. And that was in Florida when you got the annulment? No, that was in New Jersey. In New Jersey. Before I moved to Florida. Yeah. So experiencing traumatic love myself, I was at what I call the base of this rainbow. You don't know what you don't know. You don't understand why this person is this way. And he even said to me the last thing, he goes, I don't know why I sabotage everything I love. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't know either, but I'm going to figure it out. Now, in my triple master's, and I was a good student. I graduated summa cum laude, right, with a Mm 4.0. 
So we never heard the term childhood trauma. We never knew about the correlations of having unhealed past trauma, how it can interfere and sabotage your adult love relationships. So that's what started my research. I needed the answers for my own healing. Now, being a psychotherapist, I had seven psychotherapist friends. So initially I was asking them, yeah. you know, what do you think he had? What do you think went on? And they couldn't give me any answers. It's like, I don't know. He surprised us. I don't know what he has. Because we knew it wasn't the standard bipolar, borderline, depression. It wasn't anything diagnosable that we had learned about. So this is a whole different animal that I wanted to figure out what it was. And once I started doing the research and cutting it into the love book, I had still so much more. So yeah. I said, I have to go across the world with this message so people understand what childhood trauma is, how it often leads to love trauma, and how to heal it. So as a coach globally, I help people from around the world that have um, unhealed childhood or love trauma. And that's how it came to be. Interesting. I can... If you don't mind me asking, when you guys were married, what was that like in terms of, did you suspect anything was kind of going on or was it, was, was he doing a really great job of hiding that second life? Well, the, the sociopath does a very good job of hiding. Yes. Interesting. Um, and keep in mind, I'm a very busy lady. At the time to yeah. support my children, I was working five jobs. So oh, wow. I had a practice. I was working as a trauma specialist in the schools. I was teaching at Stockton University, future counselors for the drug and alcohol certification. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I was, I'm also Reverend Rihanna, so I was officiating a lot of weddings in the Atlantic City area. Like, you know, so there was a lot going on in my life, and I figured I don't have to babysit an adult. He's doing his work, I'm doing my work, and when we get together, we had a great time. So, you know, you don't see anything until he got caught within the school. Oh, wow. Within and the school. his world expl exploded and then my world exploded. So, you know, in his privacy, I don't want to go much deeper than that into it. Sure, you know? sure, sure. Um, but that's how I came into understanding traumatic love relationships. So you start at this point of, I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what he has. I don't know why he did what he did. I'm going to figure it out. And all my clients feel the same way when they come to me. And then it's a learning curve, like a rainbow. So they become very empowered. I do mindset for success. There's a spirituality component. Uh, we have to heal the original trauma from childhood. That's always first. And then once they're feeling great about the life, creating the life they desire, which is part one of what I do, then we go into the relationship part. So I work with singles and couples and straight and LGBTQ uh, yeah. clients. And then also those 16 to 26 or 30 are kind of, uh, failure to launch. They can't get off their parents' couch. They're afraid to go out and work. College wasn't really successful or, you know, I mean, the kids today are really struggling with COVID situations. So I do life transition work for them as well. And that's where a lot of the, the mindset comes in, I, I imagine. Yeah. It's for I, everyone. The mindset work is for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I had, um, it was kind of my own personal experiences that led to beginning to research the what became what I wrote. Um, but it, it kind of came from a very similar place and being two weeks into my own marriage and spending kind of a youth really not understanding relationships, but trying to. Like I, I read a lot and I, 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 I did what I was supposed to be doing. Um, but I found myself two weeks into a marriage that went 14 years 
Uh, and I was seeing a counselor and reading and, and, and right at that point, two weeks in, not knowing, okay, I have no idea still what a healthy relationship looks like. And I'm going to try and figure this out for myself. And what was wild to me was getting at the end of this journey of 14 years of counseling and, and research and book after book after book and still not knowing. Um, that's because we did not dive deep into your childhood original traumas. And that's what everyone's learning. Like they went to seven years of therapy and they came to me for my introductory session. They're like, oh my God, I learned more in one hour. Something I never heard about in seven years of therapy. So that's the real shock. And like I said, I didn't know this either. So I totally understand that. So once we identify, um, once we identify that, then uh, we can definitely um, start the healing process. And so this what is a, might that be? Can you can you use me as your guinea pig? Can you show our sure. audience what that would look like? Well, first, I like to analyze what childhood traumas you have. And I developed in 2012 the childhood trauma checklist. So okay. it's a simple checklist of 10 things. I can briefly go through that. You can write down which ones you have, and then I can start okay. making some correlations for you. And the audience can play along with us, too, and write that down. Yeah. Um, and just so they know, this came from you know working many, many years with people of trauma. So I worked sure. in the grades kindergarten all the way through college as a specialty counselor called a SAC, student assistance counselor. I worked in Atlantic Care, which was a hospital setting, a ward for children five through 19 that were there for suicide, cutting, runaways, depression, anxiety, and other things, um, eating disorders, so on. Um, then I worked in the teen alcohol and drug center, and then like I said, women from the prison system. So all these different people, different ages, backgrounds, cultures, still were showing that these top 10 were most prevalent and it's the same as my ex-husband. So I put them down and that's when I started doing the correlations and it made total sense. Um, mm -hmm. So as we go through them, I just want your listeners to know this is not about blaming your mom and dad at this stage of life or feeling ashamed in any way that you may have these. Keep in mind as a child, you're just a product of your environment. You're young, you're innocent. You just do the best you can. And then children develop certain coping mechanisms that help them survive or tolerate the situation a little better. And yeah. then with that, very often those patterns become norms or normalized behavior that just keeps showing up again and again as an adult. And yeah. then you don't really realize it because they're just so much a part of you at that point, which is a part of your unconscious, right? So we have to make them conscious, you consciously aware and then heal those, change the behavioral patterns, go from unconscious to full conscious awareness, which takes time, uh, using the mindset and creating goals around the dreams and so forth. Okay, so let's get let's into the, the top 10 and traumas. I want to, I wanna, before you jump into this, I want to say, because a lot of our listeners are coming from a, a standpoint of a, a lot of them are artists, a lot of them are, are business people, entrepreneurs. And the reason that this topic to me is so fascinating is because relationships are pervasive in the way that they kind of, they extend and touch every aspect of our lives. Right. Like, I mean, the energy that you either lose or gain at home affects you in the workplace. It affects you in other relationships. Uh, and, and you think that, you know, for 14 years, I spent so much time trying to figure out my, my relationship. And eventually when that didn't work out, I realized how much time 
I actually had to spend with my children, to work on my business, to work on myself and finding a new and healthy relationship. And it was, it was wild to me. It was wild to see what, you know, essentially what I had accomplished across 10 years in business, I was able to redo within three years after yeah. the divorce. So that's how much time and energy was going to it. So it becomes such a fascinating topic because it affects everything. So I, I just wanted to say that for our sure listeners because they might be like, why is Pi so into relationships? <laughs> <laughs> and it's the same thing too with unhealed trauma. It will touch every avenue of your life. Yeah. So when I clear up the trauma for my clients, then all of a sudden they're excelling in the job market or they're winning that uh, interview that they really wanted or creating that business now without fear. Yeah. Right. This, the yeah. studies show eight out of 10 people have eight out of 10 negative fear based thoughts. Yeah. So as a talent agent, when I was working with my models, actors, singers, dancers, and they didn't believe in themselves, why the original message is you can't do that. You're from a small town. You'll never it make it to look like a fool out there. So all those messages, right, fill who you feel you believe you are. So we have to clean yeah. all that up. So and let's go through the that top childhood 10. trauma. Now, yes, and there are more than 10, by the way, but these are the top 10 that I saw keep showing up. So the first one is if your parents had any addictions. Now, being a drug and alcohol counselor as well, I named 12 addictions that I have seen interfere with that parent-child relationship. So the obvious two are drugs things. and alcohol. Okay. But then there's also um, sex, meaning you knew your parent was a chronic cheater, but it was uh, you were part of the secret. Okay. Uh, porn use, gambling hoarding, spending, eating, gaming, TV watching, um, workaholism, and even social media addiction. Okay. And, you know, quieting a kid by putting them on a machine versus playing with them and interacting with them. Mm -hmm. um, and I hate to see that today because we're really building dependency with children on machines. Okay. So the second That's one wild. is, yeah, the verbal messages. Just like I explained, you know, saying you could never make it in the talent business. Why are you even yeah. going to modeling school? You know, those slight put downs where parents just think that's conversation. Well, it's not. It's instilling doubt in your child. So this could be watching mom and dad yelling and screaming at each other. It could have been them yelling at you. It could mm -hmm. have been the slight messages, never hearing the words, I love you never hearing compliments or I'm proud of you. Great job, kiddo. You know, there's messages that mean so much to a child. If they don't get them on a regular basis, it can really hurt their self-esteem. Okay. Okay. So that's number two. Number three is emotional abuse and neglect. Number four is physical abuse, rape or molestation. Now those could have happened inside and out or outside of the home. Any of these things could have. Some people might have had ideal situations in the house, but once they went to school, they might have been bullied and beat up every day, mm -hmm. right? So it's a whole childhood experience we're talking about. Okay. Yes. The next one is very important. That's abandonment. And there's two types I describe, uh, fault and no-fault abandonment. Now, a no-fault abandonment would be like if a parent happened to die early, it's not their fault, but it, it really leaves emptiness with inside that child. Um, if they go off to war for their country, uh, working in the elementary school was a time of the Afghanistan war. And I'll tell you, there were so many kids just checked out. 
like almost yeah. blank on their faces. They were so worried that mom or dad would come home alive. They were worried every moment of every day. And when their anxiety is up, cortisol mm. is up, and memory and learning is down. So, mm-hmm. so many kids going through various traumas were identified ADHD, and they really were not. Interesting. They were going through trauma. And yeah. I identified that early on. And when I was in the elementary school, I had kids meditating in my office. We did movie, uh, music therapy, like to Louis Miguel. It's like, mm-hmm. Miss Rihanna, put that Mr. Louis on. I'm upset today. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's really adorable. And I don't speak Spanish, but the music is soothing, right? So you can use music therapy to calm everything. Yeah. Um, and then I was doing positive parenting. So there's all these different techniques for kids and students that are really important for parents and teachers to know. Um, another type of no-fault abandonment is if your parent supports the family by being away from home a lot. They travel a lot. Gotcha. Um, and that was one of mine. I remember asking, when's dad coming home? And he, we find out many years later, he was FBI and CIA. And he couldn't tell the family where he was, (laughs) you know, my mom didn't even know. So I remember that one. Okay. So fault abandonment would be the parent was never involved in the child's life. They were involved while the couple was together or married. And then they barely see them if the couple broke up. And then third, there's even a part like emotional abandonment when the child, that the father or mother is still involved with the child. So Mm -hmm. in other words, they're just not active in the home. You know, they come home from work, they eat dinner, they sit in front of the TV, they barely talk to the kid. They don't go to the kids' yeah. events, not the sport events, the arts events, none of that. So they're yeah. not emotionally evolved, involved or connected. That is a form of fault, emotional abandonment, okay? All right, the next one would be if you were a part of the foster care system, adopted or needed to go live in other people's homes because your parents mm-hmm. lost their house or they had too many kids or they couldn't take care of you there. That even means going to grandma's house or an aunt and uncle's house. It's still you were removed from your parents. Trauma number seven is one that most people can identify with. And that one is um, personal trauma. So that's if you were bullied, if you remember feeling different as a child. So you could have been a chubby, overweight child and teased at school or skinny and gawking called the nerd. You might have been a teen trying to come out as gay or lesbian, teased for that because you just looked different um, or acted different. You might have been the only African-American teenager in an all-Caucasian school, therefore never feeling like you fit in. So, so many people can identify with this part of personal trauma. Yeah, That's I don't a know big a, one. anybody that escapes their childhood without that piece. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the research shows um, nine out of 10 people have at least one to three of these top 10 traumas. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, they said the other 10% that says they have nothing are the sociopaths because nothing's ever wrong with them. It's everybody. <laughs> nothing's else, affected them. Right? <laughs> yeah. So nothing's wrong with them. Okay. Um, let's see. So the next one is sibling trauma. So this is if your sibling bullied you, if um, they uh, were born maybe with a medical issue, so they needed more of mom's and dad's time, mm-hmm. or most oftenly they were perceived as the golden child. So the favored one of mom or dad. Mm-hmm. So they might've been the star athlete, more handsome, more beautiful, the better student, you know, you know those sayings, why can't you be as good in school as your brother is, you know, mm-hmm. always compared to the other child. 
So that makes it difficult. And then trauma number nine has two parts. Uh, one of the other traumas beyond 10, when since I'm a baby boomer, I was growing up, this one was barely, barely uh, present in my life, which was community trauma. And now since uh, year 2000, we've got mass shootings, school shootings, mm. um, more severe Mother Earth events like mudslides, fires, floods, hurricanes, snowstorms that are impacting you know, com communities in a huge way. And now look at our world. We have COVID. So yeah. anyone that says they've never experienced trauma or have no kids that are experiencing trauma, there's one of your three right there. That yeah. is a global pandemic that's impacting all of us, right? So um, these community-based traumas seem to be getting more and more prevalent. Um, and then part two of nine is family trauma. So of course, if you're impacted in the community, your family's often impacted mm -hmm. as well. So if you lose your job due to COVID, now you don't can't pay the bills for the home and you might lose your house. Um, uh, family trauma also not related to community would be if a parent was incarcerated, if um, you grew up in poverty or in a dangerous neighborhood, you remember feeling anxious. If you're a military family uh, here in the US, our military families move every two to four years thus placing, you know, uh, kids in new schools every couple mm -hmm. of years. Um, and just remember that there's a lot of lack messages. So if you hear we can't pay the bills or we may not have money to keep the house and you grow up hearing these lack messages, you may become an entrepreneur that once your own business goes so far and then you're scared to death to make an investment in yourself to go mm -hmm. further. Mm -hmm because you have those messages or verbal, um, the trauma number two, those verbal messages, you'll never make it, you won't amount to yeah. anything, right? So these are all so subtle, but working together forms the adult personality. So we have to break all these messages. And then trauma number 10 is if there was mental health in mom and dad, mental health issues, the two most difficult for children to navigate is bipolar and borderline. So borderline personality would be fast trigger anger, extreme moodiness. When they're good, they're really great. But when they're bad, they're horrid. And you don't know what you're going to get. They have really fast anger at things that nobody else would get mad at. Yeah. Right. So that leaves a kid always walking on eggshells. And then bipolar is manic depressive. So that depression can show up as either just extreme fatigue checking out emotionally or even anger and a manic phase could be a gambling spree an eating binge a spending spree which can impact the whole family because if the family's struggling financially but someone has a spending addiction it's hurting the whole family even more so it's just a temporary fix right like any addiction so those are the top 10 so how many do you have i have six of your 10. <laughs> okay there you go so, I mean, that's what I said. Most people would not look at these as traumas until yeah. you really think back and look at it with the child's mind, right? With a child's reaction when these showed up in your household. So the next thing I have to do, Pi, is that severity level from one to 10, with 10 being most severe, a two or three as you remember it, and it wasn't a happy time. Let's say someone got hit by the belt twice. They weren't thrilled about that, but they recognize as an adult, you know, maybe I give that a three but someone that's beat every day, 
from an alcoholic father, that would have been a nine or 10 severity, of course. Okay. So I'll walk you through them. Um, because I'm, okay. I'm very curious where you go from there and what you see from that, especially when it okay. comes to the relationships that I've, I've chosen in my life. Um, so verbal messages, hundred percent. So like I was, you know, the son of an immigrant father, the expectations are really high. Um, May I ask what culture you came from? Iranian. Okay. Yes. Very yeah. high expectations of the son. And especially when it comes to like, STEM. So when it comes to any math, science, that kind of stuff, which was stuff that I was not geared for. Um, so there was always that kind of, why can't you, you know, why aren't you mm-hmm. that kind mm-hmm. of time? Um, and, and none of these things like, like, you know, I, I think my father did an incredible job and my dad was a single father. So, okay. so when we get to the next one, um, physical abuse, I was bullied throughout my junior, it's basically throughout elementary school, junior high school, as well as early um, most of it ended in junior high, but I, I went, I lived in Utah among mostly Caucasians during the Gulf War. So mm-hmm. before the Gulf War, it was, he's just different. And there was just kind of like casual racism during the Gulf War. It became like oh, being attacked on a daily so basis. Sorry. Yeah. It's horrendous. It's crazy like because it Asian, still goes on right now. It, it's our Asian like, friends are going through that right now too. Yeah. And I'm sitting here like, I keep saying to myself, like, things have gotten better. But then this happens in the Asian community. You're like, okay, maybe not. (laughs) Like, maybe this is... Anyway. um, So physical abuse, yes. Uh, I think my father was also, you know, he'd spank me. But I I think that I wouldn't register that as high on the the scale. That was just kind of normal, you know, for our our culture and whatnot. Number five, abandonment. One thing about that pie, though. Okay, yeah. so when kids would come to me and say, well, it's just normal I get hit by the belt or the switch, which means yeah. choosing a tree branch to be beat with. Well, no, that's just normal for us. It's like, honey, that's not normal, <laughs> right? So when you say spanking, I have to really break that down. It was just at a pat on the behind or, you know, you're grounded for an hour, you're grounded for three months and you can't do a thing, you know? So punishment severity has to be broken down as well. There were a few times where it was excessive. Um, So, uh, okay, number five. So we can't fluff over that. If it was excessive, we might have to give that like a six or a seven, you know? Yeah, you're you're probably right. That would probably get a, the school side of that was definitely a 10. Um, The home side, probably like a five or a six. Um, Okay, so abandonment, yes. My parents were divorced. My mother dropped me off on my dad's doorstep sick and ready to die. My dad took over and, and did an amazing job raising me. How old were you at that time? I was two at the time, but I grew up knowing essentially that, you know, mom didn't really want a part of our lives. Um, So I would say that that deeper with that pie, like Mm -hmm. you may not remember so much as a two year old child, but the mother child bond was severely broken from zero to two. For sure. Right. Even though your dad stepped up and really did his best that he knew how there's that attachment, which is part of attachment theory. Right. That, you know, that was lost, even though you're not consciously aware of it. There's some things that would play a part there. I noticed those things later in life. One hundred percent. The okay. so number six, no adoption, foster care. Number seven, personal trauma. Yes. The racism, bullying, name calling. That was a, that was, that would be a 10. 
Number mm. eight, sibling trauma. I didn't have kids, but I was. So my dad did have a tendency to compare me to friends who were good at like STEM areas. Um, why can't you be more why like? Why can't you be you like, know? yeah. Um, so I'd probably say like a four or five on that side. Uh, community yeah. trauma, maybe through the, the, the Gulf War aspect of that um, and, and kind of living in a, in a culture that I didn't really fit in. Um, Utah was an see. interesting choice to move to from your country. And then number 10, yeah. mental health care issue, or mental health issues. Yes, my father has uh, anxiety amongst some, some other kind of things that are going on. Uh, but, but yes, that was something. And my mother, birth mother, is very much not there and mentally. Okay. So Uh-oh. I've got a hard six, maybe even seven of your 10. <laughs> okay. Okay. So again, I mean, there's five assessments my clients do if they meet with me for one hour. It's my introductory session for like $47. It's ridiculously cheap. I usually charge 500 for it. But you can just see one area that starts defining what's going on. So without knowing you and audience, we never even chatted before this at all. We just did emails through our assistants to get on this call. So um, I can make some guesses, some summaries without knowing anything about your marriages. But the attachment piece is going to be very big for you. The unconscious need to attach for a woman um, tied with trauma number seven, which was the bullying, never feeling good enough, which is the underlying message. So there may have been on your part, some jealousy, some control, um, fears that your partner might leave you, um, because of the attachment, the attachment of really wanting love. Um, the not feeling good enough comparing in, in the cultural thing, your dad to other young men, um, you may have a little bit of defiance or impulsivity to act out, to do your own thing, to prove yourself, but you're going to be an extremely hard worker to prove yeah. in a way my book live beyond your dreams about the mindset for success. It's called the watch me attitude. When people put you down, tell you're not good enough, you'll never make it. And this is what I was teaching my models, actors, singers, dancers in my 20s when I opened my talent school at 26. And I was teaching them this mindset for success, no matter what these messages are, you can make it if you believe in yourself, right? And there's a, that's a very deep teaching um, that I spend the entire six months teaching to make sure they have it down. Um, but that would make you a very hard worker unconsciously to prove in a way, see dad, see how good I am see how successful I am. So that's just a few things I wanted to put out there. Yeah, perfectionism, so let me probably perfectionism, you want things just right. Yeah. Um, and you are probably very smart in school. Again, you may have found love. Um, you might've been the teacher's pet, especially the female teachers, like charming. Um, but also worked hard. So in a way you could then make your father proud as the good student. So those are just some summary guesses. Are any of them close? Yeah, I, I would say a lot of them are very close. So my first, so yes, I have, since I was 20, I didn't used to think this way, um, but going into, like I was 18, 19 years old, I thought really I couldn't do much of anything. I had no aspirations. 
and then I actually went and did two years of service work. Uh, I became okay. Mormon living in Utah. Uh, I'm not practicing now, but I became Mormon. I went on a two-year mission, and it was wonderful. Uh, I learned that I was supposed to learn the second hardest language in the world, and everybody around me, including my father and my closest friends, were like, I don't think you can do this. And I was like, that's, that's dumb. If you guys believe in God, don't you think that this should actually be learnable? Um, so I went on to that and I had the experience of not only did I learn the language, but I learned Cantonese and Mandarin and I could speak wow. them without, without accent and I can still speak them fluently. Uh, and that experience gave me the F you, you don't know what you're talking about mentality. Right. So Good. from that point forward, it was like, I don't care what you say. I don't, it was very much the, I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to prove you wrong. Attitude. Watch me mindset. Yeah. The watch me attitude. mindset. Yes. Yep. Um, the, my, my first marriage, well, my only marriage, uh, is the epitome of kind of not like basically I, I took the first person who loved me or who said openly, you know, that they, like I, I was in so much need for that relationship from that standpoint. I think yeah, because Pi, you you miss the mother bond, right? The mother female love bond, um, and even when these relationships get toxic, and I don't know your relationship story, but if there is a lot of fighting and anger, you'll break up, but then you'll get back together. Then you'll mm -hmm. break up and you'll get back together, and consciously you would say this relationship's not healthy, but unconsciously you crave that love so much with an abandonment like you had, that you'll keep going back, trying to get whatever love that you could get at that yeah. point from this woman, right? Even though consciously you knew this probably was not the right relationship for you. So it yeah. doesn't surprise me that you attach strongly to the first woman, female, that says, I love you. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I would say that we did that breakup get back together thing within the marriage. So we were married very quick. It's kind of very typical in, in yes. Utah culture. Um, and two weeks in, I knew this is really, we actually knew prior to, we both had even talked about it. Like maybe this is not a good idea. Okay. Um, but there was so much, there's so much social stigma around canceling a engagement, canceling a wedding, you know, you're going to be the, you know, once you're married, then you're going to be divorced and all that kind of stuff. There was so much, social pressure in that environment yeah, that once is. we were in we we stayed in and then it became this like fighting back and forth and i would say you mentioned jealousy i would say that that lasted for a couple years mm -hmm. and then i took on the mindset of kind of you would be dumb to cheat on me and that lasted for the rest of like i, I didn't even think of it as a consideration because i'm like this would be like why would you do something like that mm -hmm. um Another thing that can happen, Pi, with your situation is that you would put a lot of perfectionism on this woman or any woman. Like she's got to be the perfect partner. She's got to look a certain way, act a certain way, do things in a perfect way. And the reason is, again, unconsciously, all this is unconscious, you would dream about the perfect woman, right? I definitely did you that. you didn't have yeah. your mom. So the perfectionism could be very high in you, placed on your partner that puts a lot of pressure on the typical normal female. That's not gonna be perfect. No, Nobody's perfect, right? But when that, those perfectionism messages keep coming over and over and over again to the woman, it gets very hard to stay in that relationship or she'll get angry. 
I did that probably to the nth degree because Mm -hmm. in addition to, yes, I have a perfectionist mindset already, but in addition to that, my, my ex-wife is Chinese and English was not her native language and she wasn't comfortable living in Utah. So in basic social situations, she would stay quiet or say weird things or offend people or, you know, things that are just mistakes, but I would be very hard on, on the, like, like, why aren't you, you know, just, just say something. Why can't you just say something? You know, when I introduce you introduce, like, like speak to people. And and so I was 100% doing that. Yes. Now, um, was your father a, like stereotypical from the Iranian male culture, which can be very dominant, very alpha male? Was he that way or was he more contemporary? I would say he was a good mixture of that, probably more so. Okay. Um, 20 years ago when, when it was like 25 years ago when he and my stepmother married, he was probably very much on the alpha male Iranian side. 70 percent 30 percent then over time and the kind of butting of heads my stepmom and him (laughs) took more of a a balanced role but that was a 10-year process right that takes a while so again what you might have seen as a normal type of relationship growing up with that this is what man and woman should be in a relationship so your social norms or your family norms are also put into your personality, right? This is what you were witnessed as normal between what a man should be and a woman should be. So you saw that in a lot of impressionable young years. 100%. So you might and have come off, yeah, very strong it's the alpha that, male. Well, it's probably the reason that I thought the issues that we were having were just normal. They were not normal. The issues that my, yeah. my wife and I were having were, were not normal. I can look back and see that. But at the time, I kept making comparisons back to my dad and saying, well, we're still doing better than, you know, what I have seen. So we're okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, so yeah, most of the, most of the things that you said very much resonated. I can't remember what were the other pieces, but. Um, some, one thing that you could have had a lot of women have this one is people pleasing. Mm-hmm. So maybe I don't know how you handled your conflict as a young person. So maybe just pleasing people to death so that, they wouldn't be angry or pick a fight with you. That's normally a girl's response, but some young men will do that as too. Just trying to be overly nice to everybody, to be everybody's friend so that they don't bully you. So people pleasing could be one. Fast trigger anger due to the frustration, never being told how to handle anger. Like mm-hmm. none of us are really told that. Um, sometimes blaming behavior can happen uh, lying or manipulation can come out. Um, you know, lying to cover up the mistakes that you might be making. And if addiction's a part of it, of course, lying is always a part of addiction, covering up how much porn you're watching or how much alcohol you're drinking or how much gambling you're doing or spending you're doing, right? If there's an addiction involved then there's always lying as a part of that. And when couples come to me and their partner, does have an addiction issue i always say the addiction will come first you can't love someone enough to make the addiction stop Mm -hmm. so you know some addictions are formed out of childhood trauma um let's say chronic cheating Mm -hmm. men who have abandonment from mother um or a toxic mother 
son relationship may be prone to cheating because when their woman is not perfect in their mind, they're like, well, then I'll find one who does treat me like I should be treated quote unquote. Right. So they look for that adoration from other women or could be a bit of a flirt or go back to high school friends and start flirting with them. Women do this too. So it's not just a man thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But that could be because of that uh, mother child bond was disrupted. Yeah. I, I definitely resonate on the people pleasing side. I think that's always been a part of my personality, wanting others to like me. I mean, even the, the going back to when I, when I quit my job, one of the first things my dad said was, um, you know, you're quitting your, your profession. I I was a CPA at the time for Mm -hmm. Ernst and Young. So a large firm, like this is the, this is the destination for most people. And I was like, I hate this. I'm going to quit and I'm going to be a photographer. And I told my dad and that was a mistake. Um, and he <laughs> yeah. was like, had I known this when you were Think in college? First, build that yeah. up then say, hey, dad, guess what? I have a viable studio. <laughs> yeah. So he was yeah. like, that's a that's a mistake. And, you know, your college education was a waste and all this kind of stuff. And and uh, again, I was like, no, dad, just watch. I'll 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 show you. And it was like five years later I walked him over to the studio and he saw this whole thing and and so pleasing my father even became like a a thing for me going through college I was never a good student uh, in high school and then when I went to college my my father was like as long as your grades are up I'll help pay and I was I was at the point where I go dad I know that I can learn now I know I can actually do things you know Mm -hmm. and so I, like yourself, I graduated summa cum laude in four years with two degrees just to kind of also be like, I told you so. Um, yeah. The, the wanting the affection of other people, I think that I never, it's funny because I, the people that I have explained my story to have always assumed that I cheated. Um, and when I say like, no, that's never a thought in my mind was to, to, have an emotional or, or to go cheat or, or to do anything that piece seems to not make sense to a lot of people. They go, I don't see how you're able to go 14 years. And I think for a big piece, like I I do have certain values I'm no longer practicing Mormon, but I do have a lot of values that are derived from that. And spiritual values are really important. So that would play a big part in you if you grew up Mormon. Yes. Yeah, so I never thought, to me, it never made sense, you know, looking at a problem, it never made sense to go and fix the problem by creating another problem. Um, so so I was like, that, that never was a that something that crossed my mind. But I could see how, you know, the circumstances, if it weren't for that value piece, I could see how that would definitely play a factor. Yeah, yeah, no, so, spirituality is very important. Rihanna, this is so, so did I entirely do yes you did great <laughs> but i'm i'm about to ask this is so entirely effed up that if you see a relationship like mine where i have so much of these rooted traumas um my ex likely did as well we're married this thing is incredibly toxic and even if you were to resolve those things you would still be two completely different individuals that just happened to kind of like trauma bond so let me explain what happens, Pod. When I have a couple that comes in, and this is a great question that you're asking, I must heal tr- the traumas for partner A and partner B. Yeah. And the third entity is the relationship. 
So once I understand deeply what you each went through and how this comes out and plays, and we just named all your characteristics, then I would have to find all hers. And then how it's intermixing in yours relationship and your marriage and how you were fighting over it. Now I taught, teach you the communication skills that when one of you is triggered, you own it and you talk differently about it. So let's say you got a phone call from your father in the car right before you walked into the house. He said something that triggered you. We call this emotional trigger about son. I told you not to do that. I told you you couldn't do it. Right. So you, you get emotionally upset unconsciously because yeah. that trauma is deep rooted in the brain and the body cells. So you get re-triggered. You go in the house in a bad mood. She's there. Oh, he's mad at me again. So she takes it personally, which is typical in a marriage. So instead you're feeling that you identify it. It's like, okay, I just was triggered because my, my dad did message number, you know, trauma number yeah. two, verbal messages. I'm feeling it. When I get in the house, I'm going to say, hon, listen, I just had a pretty bad phone call from my dad. I just need like 20 minutes to deescalate. I'm going to go take a hot shower. Then I'll help you with dinner. Now, you're, while you're alone, you know all these different techniques I teach people to self-soothe, reparent yourself, do the capping and correcting of what was said. There's all these little techniques that I use. Then you come back out. She understands it's not about her now. She didn't do anything wrong. And you are able within that amount of time to easily calm yourself down and come out and have a normal and good evening with her. So the problem is most people have these traumas. They don't know why their partners are upset or moody. And then they think it's personal. Something's wrong with me. And those messages are just like this, you know, volcanoes spinning all the time. So that's how I have to heal a couple. And then, you know, I ran into a couple of mine um, who was the, the man was very close with his mother, kind of like a mama's boy, I would call him. Mm -hmm. So the mother, whatever she said, she got her way. And he always took the mother's request over the wife yeah. and the wife had had it. Right. Yeah. And he didn't see it, but the father was not in the picture early on. So this man became her support system completely. And the mother yeah. couldn't break it. So I identified what was going on and how they needed to re-communicate around that. And I even asked to see the mother. And I said, do you want their marriage to last? Now you have grandchildren. You have to learn to eloquently step out and learn the times you can't. Like she would call five, six times a day and he would pick up the phone. I said, you can't pick up the phone every time she goes, well, what if it's an emergency? You know, yeah, that, yeah. that clinging codependency. So I had to break the codependency of the two and make them really consciously aware of what they were doing. Well, the couple is doing great. I ran into them at a pool party. She grabs me. She goes, Oh my God, I got to introduce you to all my friends. There was like 20 people there. Mm -hmm. This is the coach that saved our marriage. you know. And she goes, and we're still doing great. And we're still doing all the techniques that you, you taught us. And she goes, they work. And that was yeah. just such a nice validation, like five years later. Um, so, and the people that have healed and gone on to marry, since I'm an officiant, many of them have flown me back to Atlantic oh, City awesome. that I was working in in year 2000. And I've married them and they're together 12 years, 16 years. I mean, um, even my LGBTQ population are marrying and having very successful marriages. So it's really rewarding work. You know, I really love what I do. 
it's, it's quite interesting because everyone is very different. You know, not everyone is coming to me with the exact same issues or severity of issues. Right. So yeah. it's like everyone's their own puzzle that I have to we work as a team and it's very interactive. Um, my clients get a 150 page workbook and they fill out assessments like that childhood trauma checklist. They would just check yes or no. Yeah. And then one of our sessions would be diving deeper into that. And because you have this, is this coming out? And then we tie together, like we did for you, what was showing up. And then we start fixing that and healing that. That's how the process works. I, I, I love it. I'm, I'm curious from the standpoint of, and I, I think it's, uh, it's interesting because in, in the beginning of what I've written um, in the book that I, I, I write, this book is not about dealing with childhood trauma. For that, mm -hmm. you actually need to go to somebody to like, like you need to get that stuff out. This is you come a through specialty area. Yeah, yeah. You've come through the other side, and and you are. Um, my whole book addresses what does a healthy relationship actually look like. Uh, that's what okay. I wanted to ask you in a minute, but it starts with after get black place. Like, like you need to address the childhood trauma first. That, that is a completely separate book. That's a completely separate. I, I honestly think you yeah. have to meet with someone like yourself to do that. But my issue with counseling has always been this. Um, number one, what you described does require that both people are committed and in it. Like yes. they have to both be willing to come to the table and actually do the work. So, in, in my specific case, my ex, her beliefs, and it's not to say anything about her person, just her beliefs was that counseling is not effective and it's also an embarrassment. You know, That's to, the car to, cultural norms. That's exactly. correct. So culturally it was not yeah. acceptable. Um, number two, when you come to the table with such, I mean, you look at the trauma and then you look past the trauma and just look at a fundamentally off relationship. I mean, just across the board from value systems to, you know, everything that we believe is just so misaligned. I don't know how you fix that in weekly or biweekly one hour sessions. So there's a lot going on in my coaching program. It's really one of a kind. Um, First of all, I am CCTP, Certified Clinical Trauma Professional. And my method is a hybrid. I do a lot of psychotherapy techniques because I know about them, mm -hmm. but my, my delivery is really coaching. And coaching is more educational, interactive, motivational, spiritual, inspirational. Um, you know, I, I have live and love books for my clients to read, the two books that did end up in Barnes & Noble stores, and then the worksheets that we do step by step. So mm -hmm. that it is very interactive, and it's very interesting you said about a couple. See, I would have taken you individually, mm -hmm. because right now, for example, I have a man that came in from Nebraska. His wife says, nope, I just want to keep going to couples counseling. He goes, well, we've been in there a year. Not as that not getting better, it's getting worse, and I'm about mm -hmm. to leave. So I know I have childhood trauma. I know I have anger issues. So he was very astute in being very upfront with me. And he goes, no matter what, i got to fix myself. And then I want to decide, am I happy in this marriage? Is it me that's screwing it up? And mm -hmm. either way, I'm going to fix myself to help the marriage or go out and be a single but a good single to meet an emotionally healthy person, but I have to be emotionally healthy first. And I said, exactly. 
So I took him on as a client and um, I've never met the wife. I hear her sometimes walk by and she goes, thank you, Rihanna. Whatever you're doing is really working. Mm-hmm. She, and I said, you know, we has 20 sessions over six months. So I said, well, if she decides she wants to jump on, she can. However, um, we are going to do you in completion. And because when one person changes, the dynamic of the relationship changes too. Correct. Right. So he was either going to become confident enough to um, just love himself, which he's at now. He loves himself, loves his life, lost weight, is killing it in business right now. And, you know, feels personally sexy and, and attractive and charming, has total mood management into the spirituality, mentoring a, a younger kid, holding a men's group at his church. He's just like on fire right now. Mm-hmm. And now she is really attracted yeah. because he lost what we would call your mojo, right? Yeah. I said, are you the same person she married? He goes, no, I've been sitting on the couch during COVID. I'm miserable. I got heavy. I'm like, we got to get you back right now. So that's all we focused on him, his life, his goals, his desires, his dreams. And then what is an emotionally healthy relationship? He hasn't even gotten into the relationship stuff yet. He's one of my current clients. But his whole life has changed. And that's when, you know, I either would help him more with the marriage or he would be moving on. But he wants to save his marriage and it is working. He's learning to talk through the issues before he would yell or uh, be passive aggressive or shut down. And I would explain to him the woman's number one need in cave woman brain, her old reptilian brain is safety. And to feel secure, no matter what. So if a guy's yelling and screaming at her, then wants to be intimate, you know, two hours later, she's not feeling it. Uh, She's all, you know, set down. And a a woman needs to make love with her five senses ignited, right? This is just how we are hardwired. So if a woman's not feeling safe, she's not feeling intimate. So, so many couples are getting this wrong, you know, because they don't understand even the basic physiology of male-female. And what a woman really needs and what the guy really needs. So, you know, I have to teach them that education as well. But I can work with one person. I had another elderly couple. She came um, into coaching. She was, I need to know how to have a better life because I'm leaving my husband. And Mm -hmm. she was like 72, 40 years of marriage. I said, are you sure you want to do this? It's not easy out there in single world, you know, and. You know, um, he won't come in. I've asked him for years, so I'm just doing it to help me. I said, then let's walk, work with you. Mm-hmm. So I started working with her. She lost weight. She started dressing more hip and more desirable. She, We did her hair makeovers. I mean, that's from the talent thing. I used to do makeovers for everyone. But to make them feel just beautiful about themselves, right? My men and my mm-hmm. women. And, um, you know, she was learning all these skills. And one day he picked up the Love Beyond the Dreams book, which is four sections. And the first section is um, the toxic personalities that can break your heart. And he calls me and goes, oh, Rihanna, this is so-and-so's husband. I'm like, yeah, how are you? And he goes, I think I better come in. I said, I told you you're welcome anytime. Um, but what changed your mind? He goes, well, I picked up this book and I probably have about seven or eight of the things that are defined as toxic. Mm-hmm. So maybe I better look at fixing myself. He was a blamer. It was all her fault. Yeah. Right. And uh, he was a chronic cheater. And there was a lot she was dealing with. I don't blame her for being unhappy and finally just saying I've had it. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
I worked with him and his traumas and her and her traumas and taught them the new communication style. Um, they moved from that house where he was having affairs behind her back in their home and bought a gorgeous new home and have this happy, beautiful, retired life now. Well, bless her for so, sticking with it. Goodness. Yeah. <laughs> that would be. Well, he totally changed. You know, yeah. he knew uh, his anchor. He could play as long as he had the anchor. Mm-hmm. Now she was gone. And he had some mother abandonment issues. Yeah. The so. Have you ever been in a situation where, where you know, it's so convoluted and, and you've worked through one person and the other person is not there? Because once again, the process requires that both people eventually come to the table or that one person is already whole. Um, but it requires ownership. One person has to take ownership. Um, if not, both people have to take ownership. If one person's already good and whole, then the other person has to take ownership and, and do the work. Right. But have you right. ever been in a situation where y- you would look at me and say, I don't think this is going to work out. Like it's not, this is not healthy for you. I, I never give up on my people if they came to me as a couple, but I do have that clause as they decide not to stay together. I finish off their sessions individually to help them move mm-hmm. forward or to help them negotiate a divorce. I have had, I'm thinking two occasions in my mind where um, the woman who said she wanted to have the marriage work ended up cheating on her husband um, and she denied it. And he really felt it happened and he had some proof that it happened. He saw a text or something. So his decision was, I want to leave the marriage. And I said, I think she is having her cake and eating it too. She has to know what happens when her cake is gone. You're gone. Mm -hmm. And you need to start rebuilding your life. And let's see what happens for you. And let's see what happens for her. So the affair did not work out. And she starts calling him. Now they had children. So they were back and forth. And ideally, this would have worked. So I encourage you know, just... If you're not happy, just separate. But I wouldn't jump to a divorce right now. Separate, yeah. give yourself some time, think about it. You've got kids, see if you can work it through, especially just for your kids. Just give it time. Don't jump into something new. Um, and and the rule is the kids usually need about six months of healing when a parents break up. As soon as you bring a new partner in, they hate that new partner, no matter how good they are. It's just they feel like that partner broke up the marriage. So giving yourself time to heal, get yourself back, your own routines back. And he became very empowered and, um, you know, and she was reattracted to him and left the affair and now they're together. So, I mean, there's bumps in the road very often with For couples sure. work. It's not the easiest work to do. Um, but, you know, I'm always trying to empower both parties. That's my job. For sure. So with yeah. with this much experience, I would like to ask you that question of if you were to try and simplify, how how would you describe a healthy relationship? What does a healthy relationship look like? Okay, well, that's part four of my book. So it's quite a few pages. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's different things. I mean, some things I can sum up for my couples, I would always say it's the quote, it's you and me against the world. In other words, you have to put your partner first, not even the kids, not your parents, not your friends, because couples that put the kids first and get so wrapped up in the, the sports schedules and this and that and this and never date each other. By the time the kids are grown and out, they're divorcing because there's no romance. There's no 
fun time together. So you have to keep the fun and the romance together. I also teach a lot about keeping balance in your life, which I call balance triangles. So for a couple, the three equal sides are you, me, and us. So partner A's life, partner B's life. What does that mean individually? Well, that's your work hours, going to the gym, a little bit of time with your friends. But if you're just doing all you and you don't invest the time in the us portion, that's going to be a very unequal triangle and that relationship yeah. will suffer. So you're always looking about balance. Um, for my singles, I always say, be what you want to attract. You want someone emotionally healthy, you must get emotionally healthy first before even thinking of dating. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people out there looking to be rescued in dating world. It's like clean up your life first, get mm -hmm. the life you desire, make it perfect. Because then when you're out there, your energy is so amazing. You have this incredibly blessed, fun life. And then you're not going to settle for someone that doesn't have their life together. Right. Yep. So, yes, dating is a numbers game. But when you find someone else that has their life together and you do, then you make this amazing couple going forward with your your individual and couple's dreams together. Because mm -hmm. you're two people that have your life together and you're ready for that partner. So mm -hmm. it's very important for the singles. Um, and actually, on my website, I have four free love tests. One is, are you ready for a relationship? for the singles and you have to look at it honestly is all your life areas in order before you go out to date for like the that. couples i have the red flag checklist so if you're thinking should i go should i stay like you back and forth to this relationship look at how many red flags you're dealing with in the relationship and if there's a lot of them get help i wouldn't say quit at first but you've mm -hmm. got to do something and you know i mean a lot of people this is why i don't do counseling anymore you know it's like the model is they sit and talk and figure out their own problems. Coaching, it's like, okay, this is the research-based things that can help you fix your relationship or help you feel better. And that's what I teach, research-based techniques and real solutions. So yeah. people tend to love coaching, right? So if you're seeing, um, you know, make sure you're sure you go to someone, if you've had past trauma, Go to a trauma expert that has a coaching and mental health uh, hybrid going on. I know there's not a lot of us out there, but there's a few. Um, if you're dating also, you've got to look for the top requirements that you want. So when I work with those aged 26 to 36, let's say it's a female, and I said, are you a woman that desires marriage and a family? She goes, oh, absolutely. Well, then we come up with her top seven to eight requirements. And the first one would be, one of your first questions, whether it's on the phone or your first date, you have to ask the man in front of you, do you see yourself wanting to be a, married and be a father? Yeah. If he says something like, yeah, I guess I'll probably marry one day. And if she wants kids, I guess I'll have them too. That's a no. Yeah. If he says, I couldn't imagine my life without marriage and having kids because definitely want to be a dad. That's a yes. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people want love so much, they fluff over the important stuff just because there's chemistry, one of the worst ways to fall in love. Mm -hmm. And you have to look at the real, you know, life, you know, goals. What are your goals? What are your requirements to be happy? You know, one of my gay males said, well, he must love dogs. If he doesn't love dogs, he's not for me. And that was his first thing. And I said, put it down. That's important for you. Your dogs yeah. are like your children. You know, so whatever is that important to you, you can usually name them pretty quickly. 
like me, must love to dance. If they don't love to dance, I couldn't date them. Yeah. Right? I was a real disco queen pie back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> so, And I still go to clubs and I dance. And I well, I would it. not qualify then because I'm a horrible dancer. So, <laughs> Can always learn. But you know, things like that are important to you. Or the skier who loves the snow and the ski. Like, I hate that snow. I, I don't do. care if I see that another float, flake, right? <laughs> So you got to know what you love that makes you happy. And these are your requirements for a partner. You don't want to compromise on theirs because you're going to regret it. So these requirements are very important that we nail those down. Then there's emotional needs that have to be identified, functional needs, uh, and your wants and desires, right? So we have to look at all of those. Um, And the research said, too, the happiest and longest lasting relationships do share spiritual practice. Not really religious techniques like I have to go to church four o'clock on Saturday to get it out of the way because we're supposed to, but really being spiritual 24-7 and who you are, your personal accountability. Like you said, I have this value. I would never cheat. That's a spiritual value. So people yeah. that have these values, both of them usually make for very happy, loving, successful couples. Yeah, so it sounds like you're you're looking to match value systems and interests up front, basically, before right. you know, something begins. Well, in our U.S. culture, we were taught fall in love by chemistry. Our nursery rhymes like Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty, the handsome yeah. prince comes and he kisses her and they go away That's happily true. ever after, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all chemistry. Is she cute? Is he cute? And it's just the worst way to really fall in love. You really have to slow down. I describe it, the chemistry is the icing on the cake. But mm-hmm. without the cake, the substance, that icing just melts. It's nothing. Yeah. Right? So you a, have to have that friendship, that foundation, those things in common, have fun, trust. He's got to be like your good buddy and your passion at the same time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting word, chemistry, because it, it very much describes what's literally happening in the brain with a new with a new romance. I mean, it is it, science has shown it's equivalent to a, a hit of cocaine. Like, and yeah. it's a feeling that essentially that euphoria is going to wear off. And when you look at a relationship five years in, ten years in, you're looking at a deep personal friendship that is also a, a romantic relationship. But it, to me, each relationship that I look like that's deep into marriage, um, it, it's more akin to friendship than it is the early stages of passion. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to base a relationship, which you're right, that's one of the issues that I have is the way that we're taught to, go into a relationship is from that standpoint of chemistry and yet it doesn't last more than a certain period of time and then the only way to get that chemistry back is to go out and do something crazy something that you might might be against your values might be you know whatever it is but you have to get that rush back yeah i mean the chemistries are the dopamine the serotonin the phenylalanine running around in your brain but the other thing that's happening is the unconscious the subconscious is always attracted to what it knows. Mm-hmm. So it is picking up unconscious patterns from your past. And mm-hmm. people of trauma attract people of trauma. So once your trauma is healed and you're well aware of the childhood traumas and how they show up, uh, my, my clients have like 24 questions that they ask when they're out dating 
to see what level of traumas are still existing in that person's life. Have they healed them? Have they not? Because again, the research shows everybody has a little something as well as childhood trauma goes through three generations. Yeah. Okay. So if you have it, your parents had it, your grandparents had it. Uh, I also recently just read a study. It was fascinating that people from the Holocaust developed uh, a different gene in their DNA that was passed down two generations from all that stress and anxiety. Oh, interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So even the DNA can be changed through, you know, severe trauma reaction or trauma over time. And of course, the Kaiser Permanente study showed, which is out of San Diego, um, they correlated those with unhealed childhood trauma with obesity and mm -hmm. early disease and death and dying. Right. Yep. So there was so much more of early death and illness like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, irritable bowel syndrome, migraines, lack of sleep, all of that with unhealed traumas. And I read that, I think I came across that in like 2016. I'm like, yes, this is great that they're, which is called the ACE test, the first childhood events were very different than mine. Yeah. And I was shocked because they didn't have like being part of foster care. They didn't have bullying. They didn't have abandonment on their list. Yeah. Um, there was a lot missing. They didn't have community trauma. Some of the family trauma, like if a parent's incarcerated, we both had that. Um, but there was a lot missing, and that uh, was jointly done with the CDC, which added some of these components down the road. Now, abandonment's on their list, bullying's on their list, but I'm like, how could they miss that? Mm -hmm. You know, so it was just interesting, but they did not look at love relationship or how childhood trauma impacts people in business or in life, like constant anxiety, constant depression, um, fear-based negative thinking. These are all life results. Um, and they really just looked at mostly the disease model and how that was happening. But it's a, a great study to also read. Yeah. I love it. Well, I have appreciated this conversation. It's been very insightful. And I, I really like hearing your take on childhood trauma and the way that it affects relationships. Um, so thank you for joining me, Rihanna. I, thank you, I, Pa. You'd be my perfect client. <laughs> <laughs> You're adorable. I wish you great love and happiness. You certainly deserve it. And you're learning a lot by doing the research for your book and finding out more about this. So that's excellent. And um, now that you're more in tune and aware to it, just know, and I want the listeners to know that this definitely can be fixed. It can be healed. You can go out dating with a whole different, uh, I call it conscious awareness. It's a full yeah. conscious awareness. And it just feels so good because you really then enjoy the dating process. It's not scary. You don't worry about it. You just go out with the attitude. I'm going to meet a lot of nice people. And yeah. one of them's going to click and you're going to be ready and they're going to be ready. And that's how it happens. So that's, I just want to leave that with the encouragement and not to wait, you know, create that life you desire and have the love that you deserve. I agree. Sure. Well, you're very insightful. So we are going to, for all of our listeners, if you're watching, if you're listening, uh, you guys can check out Rihanna's books as well as her coaching programs, everything she has available. We are going to include all the links in the show notes, or you can go to, I believe it's RihannaMilne.com, right? It is. That's my website. You can find the four free love tests there, an ebook on childhood traumas right there on the homepage. Get that. It's like 32 pages. It explains us more. And the first 60 pages of both live and love beyond your dreams are under the book section tons of articles. And then my podcast, Lessons in Life and Love with Coach Rihanna Milne. I 
think I have 230 tapes now on my YouTube channel and I'm on every podcast platform. That's awesome. So, I'm out awesome. there. Thank you so much, Rihanna, for your time. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Let me quickly mention our other platforms and resources. If you're a photographer, I'd encourage you to check out SLR Lounge and Visual Flow presets. SLR Lounge is where you'll find my A to Z education teaching you how to master your camera, how to think creatively, how to light, to pose, direct, and even build a photography business of your dreams. Tens of thousands of aspiring photographers have used our education to level up their skill sets and their sentiments are always the same. They say, I wish I found this sooner. Visual Flow is where you're going to find the best image processing tools for Lightroom users, lighting condition-based presets, and retouching tools that will dramatically enhance your workflow. In short, presets that don't suck. <laughs>